I'm Michael Klein, Executive Editor of Econofact, a nonpartisan web-based publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. At Econofact, we bring key facts and incisive analysis to the national debate on economic and social policies, publishing work from leading economists across the country. You can learn more about us and see our work at www.econofact.org. Charity is a centerpiece of religions. St. Augustine wrote, Charity is a virtue which, when our affections are perfectly ordered, unites us to God, for by it we love him. In the Jewish tradition, tzedakah, charitable giving, is a commandment and a moral obligation. The Quran says that there is a recognized right for the needy and deprived over our wealth. For Hindus, giving is an important part of one's dharma, one's religious duty, and each person has a dharma towards family, society, the world, and all living things. The Buddha urged his followers to give without any expectation of personal reward, to transform the individual from a self-centered, greed-driven existence to one that is other-centered and greed-free. But in economics, we typically think of people as self-centered and perhaps even greedy. Given this, what can economics add to our understanding of charity? To discuss this, I'm very pleased to welcome to Econofact Chats Professor Laura G., my colleague at Tufts University. Along with an impressive list of publications in peer-reviewed journals, Laura's research has been cited in popular press outlets such as CBS News, Fast Company, Forbes, and the Chicago Tribune. Laura, welcome to Econofact Chats. Nice to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. To begin with, what are the estimates of the amount of charitable giving in the United States each year? So um, according to Giving USA, which is a publication that comes out annually, in 2021, Americans gave uh, $484 billion to charity. Uh, That was about a 4% increase over the last year where they measured. But if you adjust for inflation, which was extremely high that year, it's actually pretty flat. And in fact, as a portion of GDP, giving in dollars in the US is usually around 2% of GDP and has been for quite some time. This actually doesn't always include everything, though, because we don't just give gifts of money. We also give gifts of time. So if you look to other places that are trying to measure those things, they value those um, as about a $200 billion worth of time that are being given, which is about 50 hours per year from each volunteer. And about 25% of Americans report volunteering any given year. So, Laura, giving can take many different forms, everything from supporting soup kitchens to donations to the opera. What's the breakdown of charitable giving across categories such as the social safety net, community projects, the arts, and other categories? This is a great question. So let me start with thinking about the money stuff because um, money is easier to measure sometimes. So in terms of monetary donations, uh, the most dollars every year in the U.S. go towards religious organizations. And so you had a really fitting uh, beginning to this uh, this little chat that we're having talking about religion and sort of how religions dictate that people should give. So 25% of the dollars go to religion. Next highest is education, which is about the same as also the amount that goes to human services, which I think includes things like fighting hunger uh, for people in need, housing issues, things like that. Uh, another big one is health. Uh, so that would include like research about diseases, 
etc. And then further down the line are contributions to things like the arts, uh, the environment, and animal well-being. What about contributions in terms of time rather than money? Yeah, so the ordering for volunteering is actually different than it is for monetary donations, which I think is a really interesting aspect to think about how people give, because that means they maybe don't think of gifts of time and money as perfectly uh, substitutable with each other. So the number one thing for volunteering is giving uh, time towards hunger and helping the unhoused. When I typically think of this, I think about like the sort of idea of, of around the holiday season, people will often go and volunteer to hand out meals on Thanksgiving or around um, the Christmas holidays and uh, December holidays to people who are unhoused or people who are having hunger issues. The next largest thing after giving time towards hunger and uh, those who are unhoused is health and then in third place in that time giving stuff is religion. So it's a slightly different ordering than money. So giving to these different types of charities obviously appeal to different motives. What does economics have to say about the various motives for charitable giving? This is a really great question. Um, I think the contrast in what categories are highest for money versus highest for time is like a really interesting starting point for this question. So like you started this conversation with, many religions have a codified sort of monetary donation, uh, such as tithing or sadaka. So while there are relatively fewer religions that have codified suggestions for volunteering hours, as far as I know, uh, and so it sort of makes sense that maybe we see the largest portion of money going towards religion, maybe less so for other things. What do you mean by codified for monetary donations? So I mean that some religions, so let's take, for example, Mormons, um, they are supposed to, by dictate of being a Mormon, contribute 10% of their income to the Mormon church every year. So is there some controversy about what income means? There is. So um, there's some really interesting work out there by a couple of economists that is looking at this idea that, you know, income is sort of when you're thinking about what counts as income, it's sort of a fungible idea, right? So, you know, obviously you get a paycheck, you, you get your like, you know, W-2, that's income. But what about if you got a $500 cash gift from a friend or a family member? What if instead you got a couch from a family member that was worth $500? Are those things actually income? And so it's been really interesting to think about that because since Mormons are supposed to tithe, give 10% of their total income towards the church, the question is sort of, do they sort of fungibly, self-servingly interpret what is income and what isn't income for themselves? And so these two economists sort of looked at whether or not Mormons indeed do this. So they kind of like maybe say, oh, it's not income if it's a couch, but it is income if it's money. And and they find that people don't really, perhaps because they know that God is watching. Members of the LDS Church seem to be pretty consistent about this, and they have this codified tithing. What about, for example, passing around the donation plate? Yes. And so that's another place where there is, um, you know, in churches quite often, uh, they will pass around a donation plate and, you know, each person gets it and they see what the other person gives in. And so there, it's not necessarily codified. It's not saying you have to give, but there's certainly a social pressure to giving, right? You don't want to be the one person who doesn't put in some money. And then furthermore, you can see what the person before you put in and it'll sort of set a social norm for the amount of giving. So in both of these things, right, obligation and sort of like pressure from an external source is a big driver of the monetary donation. In the Jewish tradition, there's a lot of giving that goes on before Yom Kippur. And there's a famous joke about that where people are keep giving more and more. And finally, the last person stands up and announces that he's going to give $1 million anonymously. How important <laughs> is it 
that um, that people know that their gifts are actually going to be acknowledged or not. Is there any research on that? There is a lot of different research on that. So some of that research comes from economists to do lab studies, which is, means that they bring people into a computer lab and they have them basically, they give them money to come in and then they ask them to make donations to a charity and they'll randomize whether or not the group of people comes in and everyone can see who gave or whether or not they won't see that information. And they find in those settings that when they make it public, that the donations are non-anonymous essentially, then donations, the number of people who donate goes up and also the amounts go up. So this reason for charity as being sort of a codified uh, religious thing can be thought of in crude economic terms as your membership dues for your religious group. But economics typically focuses on individual choice. In this context, what does economics say about charitable giving? So I think economists um, have often viewed charitable giving as a bit of a puzzle because I think, like you said, the traditional economics model, and by that I mean this one that's like this super stylized human being who only cares about their own consumption. Well, if we only care about our own consumption, and by consumption I mean like the food that I'm eating, the house that I live in, the gifts that I buy my children, those things. Um, actually, even just the gifts for my, buy for myself, not even the gifts I buy for my children. Any sort of charitable giving would just mean you could consume less. And so our traditional models would predict that no one should be giving to charity, right? So then why, you know, or how have economists come to terms with this? Because we do see, as you mentioned, a lot of charitable giving. Yes, we see these $480 billion of dollars given, $2 billion worth of like volunteering time given. So, so why is that happening? One thing that economists have put out there is that maybe actually people enjoy the act of giving itself. So it's actually a consumption good to make a donation. And the sort of popularized name for this is the warm glow of giving. Then if giving is itself like an enjoyable activity, just like going to the movies or something, it's going to be something that you want to do. And what about sort of other aspects of giving? For example, we often hear when we're listening to, say, public radio, they, they say, well, we need 10 more donors in the next 20 minutes to reach our goal of another person kicking in another $5,000. Have people looked at the effects of this kind of incentive on giving? Indeed, they have. Um, I myself have worked on this. So I think what you're pointing to is this idea that People like giving when they feel like they're going to be pivotal to reaching some goal. And so we have this idea that some, some charitable giving is sort of like you need to reach this threshold, either number of givers or amount of money. And so as we get closer and closer to that goal, you feel more and more personally pivotal to reaching the goal. So actually, what I've done is run some studies both in a lab experiment setting where people came in and they made decisions in where I could observe everything they're doing and we told them we're one away from our goal. Well, in that setting, people were more likely to donate than if I didn't tell them we're one away. And then I also paired that actually with a huge field study where I sent out different versions of letters to potential donors. And when I sent out those different versions of letters, one version of the letter said, please give. And one version of the letter said, hey, we have a goal and we're one away from the goal, please give. And we did find that when we say we're one person away from this goal, people are much more likely to donate. Another thing that I faced, Laura, is sometimes I get calls from organizations and then I look them up and I find out that a lot of the money goes to overhead. And so I'm much more reticent to give to an organization like that. Is there systematic evidence of that kind of behavior? Indeed there is. So, you know, um, 
if you go to Charity Navigator or one of these websites that sort of tells you about different charities, they'll tell you what the overhead ratio is. Uh, just as a reminder, overhead's just the money that a charity uses to pay for things that are not the directly the services that they're giving. So CEO salaries, office space, et cetera. And, and people don't really like the idea that they're giving money to a charity to pay the CEO's salary. They like the idea that they're giving money to a charity to you know, buy malaria, mosquito nets, and things like that. Uh, so there are indeed studies that find that if you show lower overhead or if the charity themselves offers to cover the overhead from like a third-party donor, that people are more likely to donate. And drawing on other personal experience, my wife and I think about how much money we want to spend on charitable giving every year. So we have sort of a budget for that. Do other people seem to act in this way too if they give more to one charity, do they end up giving less to another? It's a really good question. And one that um, I wrote a handbook chapter about for the nonprofit sector handbook. It's really hard to answer, honestly, because what we'd want to know is how many altruistic acts in total you did, right? So not just the amount of money that you and your wife gave to charities, but also how much time did you volunteer? Maybe informal giving both of time and money, like did you babysit a friend's kids when they were in need? Did you buy someone lunch when they were you know, in need? Stuff like that. Did you give somebody your sofa when you were done with it? So it's like pretty much impossible to kind of measure all their altruistic acts that a person does in a year or over their whole lifespan, right? So for example, I regularly give blood and I guess I think of that as an altruistic thing, but it doesn't impinge upon how much money I give. I have those separate, at least in my mind. Does that seem to be the case with monetary donations alone? Are those separate from what uh, people do in terms of, as you say, volunteering time or things like that? Yeah. So this is a really good question. So one thing that's documented out there is that people who give money are also more likely to give time. But that doesn't mean that the two things are necessarily going to increase you know, with each other all the time because one's causing the other one to increase. It could just be that those are the type of people who love giving in all different forms. So here, the evidence that I find most compelling is these sort of studies where people come into a lab setting and they basically give them amount of money and they also give them a budget of time while they're in the lab and ask them how they want to trade off between those two things in terms of doing stuff for charities, like stuffing envelopes or donating money. And what they find in these control studies is that, that basically gifts of one type going up tends to make gifts of the other type go down. So Laura, you're speaking a lot about lab studies, and I guess that's perhaps the only way we can get some reliable information. But do you think that these lab studies offer us a good window into the world? I think that they're a first step. So for instance, um, I think it's a really hard, like I said, to measure all of the time and money that people would give in, in, you know, in their whole lives and understand how those two things sort of substitute between them. But we can also look to things outside the lab. So for instance, back to the question of like, are you going to give to maybe a Red Cross type of place or are you going to give to the opera? Um, one thing that they've looked at is if there's a natural disaster, donations to the Red Cross go up a lot. And then the question is, does that mean that suddenly donations to other things like the opera are going to go down? And actually, when we look at that data, we don't see that much change. So it seems as if people are willing to give, kind of expand that altruism budget for a natural disaster um, and that it's not a fixed amount in total of altruistic acts. So that's interesting because in other areas of economics as well, People look at both sort of these controlled experiments and what people call as natural experiments. So I guess 
something like having a hurricane and then giving to the Red Cross is kind of a natural experiment. And the lab studies are more like controlled experiments. So what we see in other areas of economics is happening there as well. Laura, I'd like to ask one final set of questions. If charitable giving is so important, and there are all these goals that we would like to see, support of the arts, support of the disadvantaged, and so on, support of healthcare and research, why doesn't the government just do it? Because the government is supposed to be the expression of the will of the people. So I think this is a really interesting uh, question and one that I will admit is not, you know, my area of expertise. I, I, you know, the U.S. has much higher per capita charitable giving than most other countries. We also have much fewer sort of codified social services for people. So, for instance, we don't have universal health care. The other countries that give a lot, they give like half as much as the U.S. And they also have a lot more social services like universal health care, uh, New Zealand and Canada being like the countries that go around the same amount. So is there something like an altruistic budget overall where people sort of see the government doing things and they feel perhaps they don't have to do as much? I think that's very possibly true. Yes, that like people see that the government's providing this thing and then they feel less need to provide it privately. So in the absence of the government stepping in, a lot of people in the United States do, in fact, then step in and provide money for the disadvantaged, provide money for arts, provide money for basic healthcare research and so on. Exactly. And I think that actually goes along with a lot of sort of the ethos of the founding of the United States, that everyone sort of individualistically gets to decide what they feel is important. And so in the US, I think that there's this sort of mentality that individuals don't want to be told what is important for them to donate to. They rather want to get to choose. I'm the type of person who thinks the arts are really important, so I'm going to donate to the arts. Or I'm the type of person who thinks that giving to unhoused people is important, so I'm going to give to that. So I guess this brings us kind of full circle back to the way we started in thinking about economics as individual choice, and people would rather, perhaps in the United States, choose on their own rather than have the government as a manifestation of their broader population choices for where to give money. I think that is a very apt description. Well, I hope that people continue to give a lot of money because there are a lot of good causes out there. And I appreciate you sharing your insights on this with us today on the Conifact Chats. So it was very good speaking with you, Laura. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. This has been Econofact Chats. To learn more about Econofact and to see the work on our site, you can log into www.econofact.org. Econofact is a publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Thanks for listening.